Check, one, two. I'm a lot quieter on this one than I was at the wedding yesterday. I'm like, man, they got me blasting through this thing. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, I do see some new faces as well. My name is Chris Polito. I'm the resident pastor here. I'm undergoing a pastoral residency from Nick and Pastor Tony, who's not here. Um, um, I live next door in the house next door, and I'm just, I'm just glad to be here with you guys this morning and able to share in God's word. Um, join me as we open in prayer. Uh, Father God, we, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Each and every day, God, we fail you. We, we, we let you down on a daily basis, and each morning we wake up with a new cup full of your grace and your mercy. God, have mercy on me today as a sinner. As I stand here and I preach your word, God, that I will do your word justice. That I will boldly proclaim the truths found in your word and in scripture. And then through that, God, lives will be changed, hearts will be touched, and people will want to know your son, Jesus Christ, on a deeper, more personal, intimate level. God, we love you. I thank you. It's in your beautiful name I pray. So we are going through the book of Romans. Um, we started at the beginning. We're going through line by line, verse by verse, tackling the book of Romans. I'm going to be continuing that path today. We will be in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. A little recap from Nick last week. Nick was talking about last week how uh, um, we are living in the created world, but sometimes it ends up not being the created world of God, but the created world that we create. And how do we create that world? We create that world by elevating people, animals, different things as idols in our lives. And through that um, idolic worship that uh, people fell into, God in that time gave them, gave us over to our own sin. And in that, one thing I've learned about sin is when God gives us over to it, and even when he doesn't, sin becomes attractive in our lives. Um, I've, I've, I know many people. I have many close friends who have thrown away everything in their life. I've counseled many people who have given up on their marriages, their recovery, their marriage and their recovery. So many different things in their life that they've, they've just pushed to the wayside for one reason. The sin in their life became more attractive than the things that God have placed there, the, the, the beautiful things in their life that God had placed before them. That sin takes on an attractiveness, and that sin in itself becomes one of these things that we set up on a pedestal, and we, we worship, and we uh, turn that thing into an idol. So... Um, that's kind of where Paul has got us to in the text up to this point. We're going to be picking up in verses 26 and 27. And before we get to that and before we even have to, to dance around the elephant in the room, um, the text that we're going to be talking about today and what Paul is referring to is homosexuality, same-sex attraction, same-sex relationship. And... Um, He's talking about God giving these men and these women in this time period over to that sin. And we'll pick up in verse 26. He says, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with the passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. That is God's word. So before we dive a little deeper into um, just what this tells, what, what mistakes we make as a church, um, how do we love people struggling with these sins, before we take take off into the message, I also want to jump forward a little bit and read Romans chapter 2, and we'll be going verses 1 through 7. So after this discourse that Paul writes here in chapter 1, he starts off chapter 2 by saying, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those practice, who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard heart, hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So the reason I want to jump ahead and read that a little bit is um, it's just so easy when we have a, a predisposed feeling about a situation, when we're not coming in on a level bias based on just the truth of God's word, when we have emotional attachments to certain situations, for things to get twisted out of context, taken out of context, and, and that can cause damage to friendships, to relationships, to church relationships. And so I just wanted to, to clear the air right now. Like, we are not a bigoted church. We're not preaching about a people group. We're preaching about a sin and how that affects those that we love and we care about. Um, he says here in that verse that um, it is meant to lead you to repentance. I am a sinner, and I'm preaching from a repentant heart. I struggled for a lot of years, as you guys know, with drug and alcohol addiction, and I hurt a lot of people along that path. And in that, and in that um, experience of um, seeking out a relationship with Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit, that renewal starting in my heart and transforming me from the inside out, I've taken on the role of preaching from repentance. And so I just wanted to, to get that out right now and that um, to think that we as a church are, are being judgmental or bigoted and then taking that out of context and going out into our communities or into our families, into our homes and, and saying that we are being judgmental, it kind of shows the same thing that we've seen from Paul right there in chapter 2. You're going to pass judgment on somebody when you are judging, doing the same thing. And the scary part and, and part about that, the just part of God in that, is we see that um, we are storing up what's due to us when the day of God's righteous judgment comes upon us. So now that we got those out and we got those out into the air, um, yesterday, as a lot of you guys know that um, come here regularly, you, you, you guys that were there, um, Paige and TJ got married yesterday up on the mountain. And um, I had the honor of officiating their wedding. And it was a beautiful, beautiful 
beautiful ceremony. And everything from um, just every little detail and aspect of it was, it was a beautiful day of watching a couple of our friends come together. But as I was standing there, knowing my message today, bride and groom coming together in front of me, like something hit me. In that moment, I was like, man, I could really talk about this tomorrow. God was working on me right then. And what hit me was the beauty that I was seeing standing there in front of my two friends, none of it was the hair or the makeup or the dress or the decorations or the chairs being aligned perfectly or the centerpiece behind me. While all of those things were were done with so much preparation and all of those were perfect in and of themselves, the beauty I was seeing was the unseen beauty. The beauty of seeing something happen, something come together in the way that God designed it, it it just, I don't know, man, it hit me, it it touched my heart, and it got me thinking about, about God's beauty, us being in Christ and knowing Christ and knowing Scripture and knowing the way that God created things and the way that He intended for things to work. And then seeing a beauty in that just, just brought on a, a, a really emotional moment and it felt really great in doing that. And it also got me thinking then too, like how people um, can be uh, misled and, and it's easier to follow some half-truths or false-truths rather than ultimate truth of God's word is because uh, I started thinking about the people that were probably there at the wedding who are not in Christ and don't have a relationship with Christ. They saw the makeup and the dress and the nails and the hair and the decorations, and they saw beauty. It's not like sitting there outside of Christ, they were seeing this ugly ragtag wedding that was thrown together. There was beauty there to see it too, but they weren't seeing the beauty of God's creation coming together covenant between husband and wife and God leaving home and, be- and becoming one flesh. So it got me thinking about God's design and going into this text that we have here today. I think it's important to understand God's design for man and woman and, and marriage and what it looks like. So if you guys want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. I think we'll have it up there. We'll be starting in verse... 21. Is that what I got marked out? So I'm going to go a little further than that. I think I'm going to go 21 through 24. I might have sent Nick the wrong text this morning. It was early. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I'm a... If I'm building something to a specification for somebody that they want it a certain way, and I know they want it a certain way, if they're hindering my creative side and just letting me go. I want a blueprint. I want an outline of what it should look like. I want to know the dimensions. And God gives us a pretty clear blueprint right here on what marriage should look like. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one 
flesh. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out my wife and show you guys a sweet little note right here. So when I was studying for this text, Maria has like certain areas highlighted in my Bible with a little MP, her initials, and a little heart by it. So that was kind of cute to find this morning. I didn't realize that was in there. So I'm going to flip back over to Romans because I didn't save my page. And so now we have God's intended design. We have how God created marriage to look, and then we have the world we live in. And it's, it's nothing new. It's nothing out of the ordinary that's just started to happen in, in our times lately. But we live in a world where people have a hard time of accepting absolute truth. Especially the absolute truth of God's word when it challenges their uh, morality or um, emotional impacts on things. So we see a lot of times we see um, certain people, certain people groups. We see churches and pastors trying to manipulate the text and manipulate scripture so that it fits their agenda or fits uh, um, their ideas of morality and, and the way they want it to go. Um, I can give you one example off the subject of our text today, but prosperity preachers. They want everyone in their churches to believe that God wants us all to face health, wealth, happiness, and be blessed. And they'll take these scriptures and they'll take scriptures about blessing and they'll extract, extract them from the verses, pull them out of context, and they won't ever bring up any of the ones where Jesus is like, whoa, you brood of vipers, woe is me, woe is me. They don't bring those things up and they leave those out and they get everyone to think that we're supposed to face nothing but health, wealth, and prosperity in life. So that's one example of how um, scripture can be twisted and taken out of context. In this one, we see with these scriptures here referring to same-sex attraction, same-sex relationships, we see that a lot. We see um, in radio shows, television shows, we see in, in communicating with people that we know where they want to take it and say, well, Paul in this instant isn't talking about a loving, monogamous, same-sex relationship. He's talking about this old uh, Roman Empire time of uh, rape and, and forced sexual behaviors and stuff, but, but we see in the text, that that's not exactly true, because we see in verse 27, where he says, and men likewise gave up natural relations with men and were consumed with passion for one another. We're not, we're not seeing that one man was given up and consumed with his pa passion and decided to take another man against his will. He tells us right there, consumed with passions for one another. It's not that it was forced. There's reciprocity there. Like they're, they're receiving it and they want to, to um, participate on both sides. And now we think about some of these arguments or some of these statements like um, this was written so long ago. We live in a world where time has evolved, things have changed. This, this isn't as applicable today as it was back in the world it was written in. But when we think about some of those arguments and we take those arguments, those same arguments, and we apply them to different things in Scripture that are foundational, 
that are fundamental, that we know to be true, and we try and place those same arguments on different things, you can kind of really see how much those arguments don't provide truth, don't provide backing in truth. Um, and it comes down to the way things way God created things, the way they were designed to be used, and how we as fallen sinful people, we misuse them, use them outside of the way God created and intended them. And so let's apply some of those same arguments onto things that are foundational in our lives that we never go to Scripture and argue about the way God designed it. Let's start with water. We know God created water to sustain life. We know God created us in a way that we breathe air through our lungs and that as mammals, we can't sustain our lives underwater. But we never see people coming out and arguing the fact and saying, you know what, I know this is what the Bible says. I know this is the way God created it, but I'm tired of being held down by what the book says and what someone else decides is truth. I'm putting my foot down. I'm not going to drink water anymore. Or, you know, I'm going to go even further than that. I'm going to take myself and I'm going to go into the lake and I'm not going to come out from underwater until I'm ready. We don't apply it to certain foundational truths. Let's take air. We know God created us and the, the, the majesty of creation and the world and the universe, every uh, little minute detail about our bodies and the way they work. And he placed lungs inside of us, lungs that need air but we don't ever see people putting a foot down against air sometimes we'll see a kid that's like i'm gonna refuse to breathe for a minute but don't go very long it don't happen for very long but or other arguments yeah that might have been relevant then but it's not now i'm i refuse to be held down by the laws of gravity there's no way that i have to fit into the cookie cutter rule that i'm heavier than air watch i'm gonna go walk off my roof and prove my point we don't do that things those things when it comes to these certain things. We do these things when it comes to moral issues that call us out on certain sins we're facing in our lives. People came to me, people came to me and said, Chris, you need some help. You're struggling. You're a mess. Look at you right now. And I didn't want to accept that. I'm like 102 pounds, face all picked up, cr cracked out of my mind. Don't dare to go outside. Oh, everybody money got warrants from all the police departments but we don't want to accept that i thought i had my life together you know don't challenge my moral choices right now in this moment and then the other one that i mentioned was it's not relevant then like it is now so time do we challenge time we do in this context when it's dealing with our morality and what we're uh, uh, faced to make choices and accept things that um, have become attractive to us or things that we just don't think fit the time. But think about time in this aspect. We all understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down from His throne in heaven paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. If you're in here and you're in Christ and you believe in Christ, you know that He paid the price for your sins. My sins. Present sins, past sins, future sins. 
That sacrifice happened 2,000 years ago. Same as when these scriptures were written. Same thing. So if, if his sacrifice and him paying the price for our sins as, as fallen, broken people when we didn't deserve it, if that sacrifice can transcend time, so can a scripture that was written in absolute truth that faces a world that's trying to evolve and change things. So we got these texts talking about same-sex relationships and... and um, same-sex attraction, and so then we ask ourselves, well, why? Why did it come to this? How did it come to this? And Nick told us the answer to that last week. If we see back, um, if you're with me on 26 in your Bible or whatever, and you just rewind a little, one verse to verse 25, he says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed Forever. There we go with that time thing again right there, right? Forever. So we understand the why now is because they exchanged the truth about God. And this is the only truth that you and I have to stand on about God is this book right here. If I am preaching anything today on this subject that, that has you asking questions or things that you disagree with... I would love to sit down with you on a deeper level and dive into my conversation. But I ask one thing and one thing only. I leave my ideas and agenda behind and you leave yours behind. And we look at it strictly through the scope of Scripture. So we have the fact in 25 telling us we exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So it's referring to Satan right here. And Nick told us last week what, what kind of master Satan can be when we, uh, when we let him become our master and we serve him. And we had some answers from some of you guys. But when it comes to that point, we're serving a selfish, selfish master. And so when that begins to happen, when we begin to um, let our guard down and let Satan start to creep in and he sees some areas in our life where he can be begin to kind of just peck away at certain things, he finds lies to feed to us. Because, I, I, I don't know, I don't think all of us just ever one day just, I'm right here now and I'm right here now and just totally went 180 degrees the other, the other direction. Bit by bit, Little by little, Satan pulled away. Satan planted things in our minds. And he used society, the media, news outlets, all of these different things to, to implant these ideas and things in our mind where now these things that we should know are lies because he's the father of lies, they become some foundational truths in our lives that pulled us even further away from God's word. And so I want to... Um, Take a look at a couple real quick that, that we see with our brothers and sisters that are struggling with this sin or any other types of sin. And one of them is, it's my identity. This, this is who I am. And right there, right there should be a red flag. But when Satan has been working on us and pulling us away from God, it's not a red flag to us. And the reason it should be a red flag is because outside of Jesus Christ, we have no true identity. 
So if we're coming to anything and saying this is who I am and it's outside the scope of Scripture and it's outside of who God created us to be, that's not an identity, maybe a false identity, but not a true identity. And then another, another lie that Satan uses to, to play tricks on people's minds is, I was born this way. You hear that a lot, especially pertaining to um, same-sex relations and same-sex attraction is, I was a born that way. And I'm not a biologist and I'm not God, so I can't argue one way or another saying someone was born that way or wasn't born that way. But I can point out this, that I was born as a heterosexual male and God placed in a desire to, with me to have sex with women. And just because that desire was born into me doesn't make it okay for me to become a serial adulterer and go around trying to have sex with every woman I encounter. My wife wouldn't like that. It wouldn't be good for my family, for us as a church family. As a matter of fact, she told me this morning she would kill me when I was talking about <laughs> this part right here. So, so pray for her and me in that. Pray for us both in that. But just the fact that something may or may not have been born into us doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it okay. It doesn't mean that it hurts God any less when we use that as an excuse to draw closer to our sin and farther away from Him. Um, one example I have of this statement doesn't pertain to um, this sin specifically, but more to, to pride and anger that was going on at the time is... Um, I had a gentleman that um, uh, I was close to and in encountered on a daily basis, and he really ran into a time where he was becoming like a real jerk. Like on a daily basis, it was unpleasant to be around him, and it was his way, and everything else was wrong. And so one day, I, I just called him out, and uh, I was like, dude, why are you being... I'm not... Jerk wasn't the word that was flying around that day. We're going to go with jerk. But I was like, man, why are you being a jerk right now? And I got that response. Well, God created me this way. I was born this way. And it was in that moment I was like, well, hold up a minute, man, because I know Scripture says that God created us in His likeness, in His image. So I don't know if you're calling the big guy an a-hole or what, but He didn't create you that way. You've became that way. And even if, it, if that was the case, which it's not, to go around and treat people like trash just because you simply think God created you that way, how is that working on your relationships, your friendships, your family, all the people that are supposed to be important to you? He didn't like it. <laughs> he didn't like it. Um, so this can bring us down through, now we've been through... Um, God's intended order of creation of things, accepting that, um, some of the lies and arguments that we, we hear and see often into what are some of the mistakes that we make as the church. And uh, I'm not talking about the mistakes we make as this church in this building. I'm, I'm talking the church as a whole. So because, um, hey, we're not perfect people. We're fallen people, and we fall short in coming, uh, 
coming alongside our brothers and sisters that struggle with different sins all of the time. And so um, I was kind of just doing some research, studying some things, looking at some of the things, and I came up with a few things that I kind of seen that seemed to be um, common mistakes that we as believers make as a church when, when coming along brothers and sisters that are struggling with different things. Um, Especially when it comes to same-sex attraction, homosexuality, like mentioned in our two verses today. And I think one of the first ones that, that really popped up that I kind of continued to see is we treat it as a sin that's much worse than other sins. It, it, it seems to be one of those things where you, where you hear and see of people um, not feeling welcome at church or uh, certain churches have uh, refused to allow to let people to attend, excommunicated certain members when, they, when they've talked about that they're dealing with this. We elevate it above other sins. But to me, you could talk about divorce, addiction, adultery, any of those things are just as damaging and breaking up and hurting people's lives just as much as this. So the first mistake I, I, I feel like we make is we treat it as a sin that is worse than others. Um, the second one, and in doing that, it kind of rolls off the first one, is we kind of take on the role that, well, uh, I don't struggle with that. I'm a little bit better, so let me fix you. Let me fix you in that. And... Um, Just that, that don't ever do anything to draw people closer to God and bring them into the kingdom. It just immediately builds up a wall. People become defensive and it causes division. It helps people, it, it helps Satan pull the person away from God and the gospel versus bringing them to it. And so um, not to say that when we encounter one of our brothers and sisters in Christ and we know them and we've walked alongside with them in, in life for a long time and we see some struggles and we see some sins that we don't hold each other accountable and come to others and, and, and call each other out in a loving way. But when, when that's one of the first things we jump to, it, it's damaging. Um, and then the third one is rolling right off of that, is we jump right into addressing certain sins and certain issues. We jump so quickly into it. It's like, if you think about it on a real elementary level, like, I don't, I don't walk into here on Sunday morning and get ready and stand up here to preach and just kind of survey the room. That guy can't tell the truth to save his life. Man, that, that, that guy's here with his wife. I wonder how his girlfriend's doing. Um, I don't walk in, survey the sins, and, and be like, all right, so now i got to fix this guy. i got to jump right to it. Nobody would ever come back. I don't walk up to somebody when I know they're struggling, when they, when they know they're dealing with certain thin, sins, and say, hi, my name's Chris. I'm, I'm one of the pastors at Gospel Community Church. I see you're struggling with homosexuality. Let's talk about that. We don't jump into that right away. So what, so what then? If we don't jump right into this and right into that, what do we do? What's the next step? Where do we start? The gospel. The gospel. It's not as much about sexual desires and things we're dealing with as it is about surrendering to the kingdom of God. We come alongside people we love and we care about 
And to me, it looks like this. I come to somebody and I say, hey, man, how are you? My name is Chris. Um, rough patch. From what I hear, going through a rough patch. Well, man, my life was broken down, ugly, disgusting. I was a lying, thieving, stealing drug addict. And, man, like there was no part of me that I enjoyed, no part of me that I really liked. And then somebody told me about Jesus. And it planted a seed, and I tried everything else, and everything was so ugly and broken down that one night when things seemed to hit the bottom, I cried out. I cried out in prayer, and something happened to me that night. It happened to me in a jail cell in Carbon County Jail. A, a spark happened, and when I woke up the next morning, I felt a little different. There was a different desire and I started, I didn't know what that was, what that meant, but I started reading scripture a little bit. And then I, I met some people that wanted to, um, excuse me, come around me and walk with me through life and, and help build me up. And they were telling me about, about the gospel and they were telling me about Jesus. And it was over here, but my life I had lived was way over here. And it took time. It took time of, of understanding scripture, of, of being around people that wanted to build me up. We start with people with the foundation of the good news of Jesus, what he's done for us, before we ever try and address any sins that we see happening in their lives. Because really, in jumping in right to addressing a sin or a sin issue, we're kind of elevating our power and our might and what we can really do in people's lives. Before anything that we could say to anybody really can take some root and effect, there has to be a, a change from the inside working out. And I can't do that. You can't do that. It comes from the Holy Spirit coming in their lives and starting to renew their hearts and renew them from the inside out. So um, it, it takes on, when we start with the gospel and we, we come alongside people in love and we love and truth and we preach, share the gospel with them, help them um, start to seek out a relationship with Christ, it, it, it transforms to where it's not so much the forefront being about secondary sin issues as realizing our identity is like, whoa, are you kidding me right now? Like, I can talk to God, the God that created the universe? And that starts to make a difference. It's like, you're telling me that I can be a servant of the God Most High? It comes down to answering yes. When someone asks us or we ask somebody, are you willing to do whatever God asks you, no matter how hard it is? It's about surrender. So if you're in here today and you're, you're struggling with this sin, any other sin we talked about, spend some time in prayer. Like ask yourself some questions. Ask yourself that question. Am I willing to do whatever God asks of me, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is? And if you're in here today and you got family and friends and loved ones that are struggling with this sin or any other sins that we know that are just causing division between families and God and just bringing pain and heartache, start with the gospel, love on them, and get them to a point where they really want to discover the answer to that question. Am I willing to do whatever God asks of me no matter how difficult it may be. Let's pray. 
Um, Father God, we are so grateful to be able to come together today, God, and share your word. God, we lay down our ideas, our understanding, our moral compass. We lay them at your feet, God, and we want you to strip us down. Strip us back to the way you created us and build us up from scratch. Let us continue to to seek your glory, to seek your face, to know your son. God, help us to create closeness with you, distance with the enemy. Give us the strength, the courage, and the boldness to go out into our, our communities and our families and be a beacon of your light. We're here because of your grace. We can never repay you for your mercy. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.